Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm we're just three gals that like to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about true, true crime. Yes, we do. Yes. But it's just the ghost of all of yes, us. Yes, the ghost of everyone here. Uh, well, welcome back, ladies and beans. Uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. For today, we will be continuing the terrible story of the Ken and Barbie Killers. Winding the tapes back, let's revisit the tragic accident that took place after the family Christmas party. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So Tammy had died because she choked on her vomit from drinking too much. Right? Mm. Well, there is much more to the story. Much earlier, um, Paul had told Carla that he wanted to have sex with her younger sister Tammy. He would uh, watch her through her window and then started to sneak into her room to watch her sleep and masturbate. That sounds like a red flag. A little bit. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carla was aware of all of this and started to um, cut the locks off the windows to make it easier for Paul to sneak in. That sounds like a red flag. (laughs) Uh Carla supposedly offered up Tammy as a Christmas gift. No. Mm-hmm. No. When Carla and Paul got together, she wasn't a virgin, and that upset Paul. So she offered her younger sister's virginity to make it up to him. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> logical. Mm. Absolutely. Then, in July 1990, Carla made dinner for Tammy. It was spaghetti laced with crushed Valium. She fell unconscious, and then Carla watched as Paul raped her. But the worst of the attacks was December 23rd, 1990. It gets worse? Oh, yes. It does. So, like I said in last week's episode, Paul was playing bartender. He was making rum... Bartender? Sorry. Continue. (laughs) No. Uh, He was making rum eggnog cocktails. Tammy was intrigued by the drinks, and her parents had said she could drink as long as it wasn't too much. Unknown to Tammy and the rest of the family, Paul and Carla had laced Tammy's drinks with sleeping pills. Not long after, she fell unconscious. The couple undressed her, and then Carla put a cloth on Tammy's face that was soaked in holothane, which is a general anesthetic used with humans and animals. It's not available in the U.S. because I was looking it up. Now, this is a very dangerous drug, especially when it's not used properly. In a police interview, Carla said that she held it near Tammy's face, but the video showed otherwise. That type of contact would kill a person. The video shows both Paul and Carla sexually assaulting the unconscious Tammy, and after a while, she starts to vomit. They attempt to revive her, but when that wasn't working, they quickly cleaned up the scene, got her dressed, and then they sought out medical attention. At the hospital not too long after is when Tammy is pronounced dead. Hold on, so you said the video. 
so yeah, they also recorded it. Oh yes, oh, they good. record everything. Yeah, uh, yep. I'm yep. aware. Of, yes, okay, literally. Cool. So she lied about it, knowing it was recorded on the video. It shows her covering Tammy's face with the cloth that's soaked in this drug, not holding it near her face. She covered Tammy's mm. face with it. It's so interesting when you when they like half confess to something where it's like. The, or it's like, you know, she died, like, it was a sexual assault, like, it was just an accident, or, like, she died, or, you know, in my place, and, yeah, you, I think you were just... They have to yeah. distance themselves from it. Right. Yeah. So suddenly it's like, oh, I never knew that girl. It's like, really? Because you sat behind her in class for oh seven God. years. Yeah. Like, guys, kind of stuff. guys, I mean, I'm going to get to more of this as the story progresses, what Carla does. Yeah. But, like, her whole spiel, basically, which I'll talk about in a little bit, is that she's she knows she's going to get caught and she's trying to stay ahead of it and manipulate her story, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, it just gets it so reminds much worse. me a lot of like the Casey Anthony stuff, where it's like she lie about something, or like she'd admit to something, something like I was in the room, but I didn't commit the crime, or like, like you know that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you're like, I, but okay. And then you find out more, and you're like, cool. So what else is a lie then? What else are you lying about? Then? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happens to these tapes? Clearly, Ken should have taken them to the police, right? Well, no. He conceals them. Now, Ken is the lawyer is Paul Bernardo's Laura, if you don't remember from the last episode. Right. So Ken finds these tapes and conceals them. His plan is to bring them out during the trial to completely destroy the crown, a.k.a. the prosecution, um, their star witness of Carla. Wait, do they have it in, because in America, don't you have to share everything with the... Well... Oh, am I getting ahead of myself? Okay. But physical evidence must be turned in. Hey, there it is. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Oops. So the tapes haven't been found as far as the police know. They So they are still talking to Carla like she's been telling the truth, like she's another victim. Uh-uh. Carla asks them if they've found the tapes, and she says things just in case they might have. She tells them she was forced to have sex with these girls, etc. She talks about Leslie, Kristen, and Tammy. She wants to be in charge of her narrative before they find out the truth. She's protecting herself. Right. When the truth is, she is just as into all of it as Paul is, and the tapes truly show that. And also, another tape that surfaced proved just how into it she really was. I mean, this girl who is at 20 years old offered her 15-year-old sister to her boyfriend as a present, so Mm. come on. Now, before I talk about this mysterious other tape, though, I want to share another quote from Carla when she spoke to the police about Kristen. I said, well, we have to go to my parents' house for Easter dinner. And he said, well, why don't we just not go? And I said, well, how's it going to look if this girl's missing and we have no alibi? We haven't gone anywhere. We haven't done anything. And he said, well, I guess you're right because he wanted to keep her for longer and I didn't want to. Like, I was going to work. I didn't want to go to work knowing this girl was in my house and she could escape so easily. And I didn't – I was afraid. So so I didn't suggest to him that we kill her on Sunday, but (sighs) – I know that she, I know that she had to be gone. How does oh. that make you feel? Because I literally yelled at the video watching her say this to the police. Jeez. You said kill her without saying it. Yeah. Um, 
she what she was trying to do was present an <laughs> like what she's trying to say is that she's like all I did was just present an issue and I wanted him to be solutions oriented about it. Mm. Like I needed just to present an issue so that he would solve it. But I don't know how he was going to solve it. I mean, it could have been this way, but I was just letting him know that there was an issue at hand. I have to go to work. I go to work. <laughs> this is like manipulator 101, right? Like that's what you do. You you phrase it in such a way that you're giving that person the idea even though you came up with it. Right. Like, Carla, you should have just been... She didn't want to tell them that she was direct because she absolutely... That's her half admitting it, right? Like, so she definitely was like, well, then I guess we have to kill her then. Exactly. That's so awful. Oh, my God, I yelled at the... I literally yelled at the screen. Um, The focus was so much on getting Paul off the streets that the police didn't even bat an eye at this statement. She literally says that she manipulated Paul into killing Kristen sooner than he maybe was going to, and they just let it go over their heads. And in another interview, she had just told them that her and Kristen were friends, which I quoted in the last episode. Um, She said, I felt like I was friends with both of them, especially with Kristen, because we did so much stuff together. We put on makeup together. We talked, you know, just girl talk when Paul was gone getting his food. And it just made it hurt even more. She literally, like, not too long before said that statement to the police. And then she tells them that she basically told Paul to kill her. Anyways, so May 17th rolls around, and they still haven't found the tapes. So the police decide it's a good idea to bring Carla to the house, hoping that she would give a better understanding of where everything took place and where things might have been kept. You can see these clips of the walkthrough in the docu-series The Ken and Barbie Killers, The Lost Murder Tapes, on Hulu. It's in episode 3, about 21 minutes in, you can see Carla, who is at the time 23 years old, Uh, It's important to know how old she is. Um, Her hair is in a braid, and she's wearing a schoolgirl uniform. So she goes through this house and is talking about what happened and where things took place and also asks if their furniture was damaged during the search and sees this book on the floor and is like, can I take these? My sister wants it. They tell her it has to stay and that everything in the house has to stay. And she makes no, like, empathetic comments or actions like she sort of does when she's doing the police interviews. She's just very matter-of-fact when she's in this house. She's completely detached, as you were saying earlier, Amanda, Um, which does not make her any less guilty or not guilty. I mean, it doesn't make her either way, right? Because people react to things differently. Even though it's cringing to watch it doesn't mean that she's guilty, right? If, If I didn't know all the other stuff by watching this, I can't say she's guilty. People react differently under stress and trauma, but it's really eerie to watch her in this schoolgirl uniform with her hair in a braid at 23 year old walking through trying to act like this innocent girl. But because nothing new turned up during this search with Carla, there was still no tapes as far as the Crown knows. Carla is still super vital to their case against Paul. Carla, still driving her narrative in her part in all of this, wants to make a deal. So they make a deal. This deal is has since become known as the most controversial deals made in Canadian history. Hmm. It is later nicknamed the deal with the devil. Yeah. Because she told them, because she told them she was involved, even though she says she had been forced to by Paul, she is still part of the murders. So if she agrees to plead guilty to two counts of manslaughter, then she would get a lenient sentence for whatever her involvement might actually be. And she would be the primary key witness in the trial. Now, the lenient sentence would be 12 years total. Five years for Leslie, five years for Kristen, and two years for Tammy. It was originally only 10 years, but they moved it up to 12 because of Tammy. So I guess Tammy's life was only worth two years. Yeah, I was going to be like, oh, good. Oh, glad. Glad her life was only meant two extra years for that. Mm -hmm. That's obnoxious. 
and she would be eligible for parole in four years. Oh, my God. Now, there was a publication ban placed, a news blackout for Carla's sentencing. The news could only legally say Carla's sentence and nothing else. They could only say that she got 12 years for manslaughter. The reason for the ban was also to make sure there was a fair trial for Bernardo, but that seemed a little odd. It felt more like they were just trying to hide the deal versus worrying about Bernardo's case. With the ban, the people wouldn't get to learn if Carla got away with murder. Now, May 18, 1993, the charges for Paula released. He is being charged with two counts first-degree murder, two counts of unlawful confinement, two counts of kidnapping, two counts of aggravated sexual assault, one count of causing indignity to a human body, which is in reference to Leslie. Carla was placed in a women's prison and is kept away from the other inmates for her safety. September 1994, eight months before the trial even starts, Ken Murray, Paul's lawyer, applies to be removed. The reason is unclear as to whether it's Ken's wish or Paul's. Regardless, he is removed. And now he is required to hand the tapes over to the new lawyer. Oh. The tapes that he has had in possession, unknown to the police, for 15 months. Uh Whoops. So John Rosen takes over the case. He is nicknamed Mr. Murder because he's done the most murder cases in Canada. So John is given the tapes, and he basically immediately takes them to the police. Yeah. Yeah. He does tell Paul so that Paul's aware that the tapes are going to the police. Yeah. So now the police have the tapes. Oh, my God. And a man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, were they shocked at what they found. I made mention of another mysterious tape uh, that heavily involves Carla, and this is what it was. An unconscious girl on this tape, and she is not Leslie, Kristen, or Tammy. The police call her Jane Doe because they have no idea who she is. Carla and Paul both sexually assault her, but they do not kill her. In fact, this is a girl that Carla has befriended and invited over to the house before Paul was even home. She drugged Jane Doe and planned this one all out on her own. This 15-year-old girl had become friends with Carla back in 1991, and on June 7th, Carla had invited the girl over for a girls' night. They supposedly went shopping, they were going to get food, but when Carla took her back to their house, she drugged her. Carla had given her alcohol and laced it with a sleeping pill. She became unconscious. She was a surprise for Paul. The video shows Carla raping the girl first, and then Paul does it afterwards. The next day, she is vomiting, but thought it was because she had had too much alcohol the night before, and it was like her first time. She had no idea what they did to her. Oh, my God. She is invited over again in August to spend the night. It's a very, uh, And it's very similar to what they did with Tammy. Jane Doe even stops breathing during the sexual attack. Carla called 911 and then calls them back a few minutes later saying, everything is all right. The emergency team was recalled without follow-up. Jane Doe goes over to their house one more time on December 22nd, 1992, but this time she wasn't drugged. They just pressure her to have sex, um, and the girl got really upset and left. None of the videos ever show the actual murders of the other girls, only torture and sexual assault. Because of that, the police still needed Carla's testimony. So they did nothing about the new developments in Carla's role. The deal stayed the same, and nothing happened with Jane Doe's attack. Because she had lied about things, they could have revoked or changed the deal, but they didn't. Mm. Development Hell is back, guys. Development Hell is the podcast that Richard Humphreys and Kyle Anderson has with another gentleman that's, I'm sure, very lovely as well. I'm very sorry that I don't know your name. But 
I love that podcast. They do like a stupid, awesome deep dive about um, like a movie that took forever to get made. They just mm. did the Speed Racer, like oh, and it's so good. And they just like they're funny. Their anchor ad is my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> And because they tell the truth about how we make millions of dollars off of Anchor. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) They're not afraid to tell the truth. And they're just funny boys, and I love it. And I'm somebody that likes to learn a ton of shit about stupid things. They did a whole thing about Godzilla, and it's so great. And King Kong, like, it's so great. So I highly recommend it if you want to learn about movies and projects and video games and stuff like that that just took forever. Yeah. Fun. Nice. Awesome. That's really awesome. How much did they pay you for that ad? Um, (laughs) not enough. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) They paid me nothing. They paid me in friendship because I love them. Ah, Friendship. I love it. Friendship. So, how were they going to make Carla still appear as a victim? The Crown went to California to get Dr. Hatcher, a psychologist to evaluate Carla. Now it comes out that Carla suffers from some kind of trauma that led to memory loss and amnesia. She suffered from PTSD and amnesia. She didn't lie about Jane Doe. She just simply had no memory of it. Oh. Uh-huh. Suffering from convenience. Yes, yes, yes. Because <laughs> uh, she had memory of everybody else. Right. <laughs> um, like specific details of all the girls except for Jane Doe. Mm. Um, the one that happened to be her idea. In all of the home videos that Paul did, none of them showed a Carla who suffered from PTSD or amnesia. And this is including, like, other home videos, not just the attacks. Because he's got—he literally records everything. So it's not only attacks. It's, like, them in a room, them just being silly, them walking around. Like, he records everything. Um, So, Toronto, 1995. As the trial approached, everyone went nuts. Kim Doyle, Ken Murray's law clerk, said it was a circus. A new station set up camps across the street from the courthouse. Tour buses made it part of the tour. They would talk about what was going on as the bus drove past the courthouses. Now, just a reminder, Kim is the one who watched the videos for the first time. So when Ken found the video, Kim is who watched it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, May 18th, 1995 was the first day of the trial. The ban is now lifted. Oh, did the media get excited. Um, This was like their OJ story, only with two people trying to pin murder on each other. Carla said it was all Paul, and Paul said it was all Carla. There was no tape, no evidence to prove who was actually lying as far as the murder goes. And the defense was not going to plead guilty to murder because Paul admits to being a serial rapist, but not a killer. So how does the court handle the tapes? Every time a tape is played, the victim is re-victimized, trapped in a loop of torture and abuse. So if you could tell them what they should do with these tapes as far as, like, the jury needing the information, what would you have them do? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess it would either be a fact of being in the courtroom and maybe a reading of, like, someone else has watched it. Which I know, like, your imagination can make things worse sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I guess if you can't. For, like, the dignity of the victim or whatever, mm-hmm. like, I guess if you don't want to, like, just show the video of that person being sexually assaulted, then maybe it's, like, a description of it, like, a mm. verbal one that gets read by That's what somebody. I was going to say, like, maybe, like, the, the judge watches it and then kind of gives an idea of what it is, or someone watches it and gives an idea of what it is, but, you know, what you need to know, and, yeah, exactly, so you don't see it. Just to be respectful of that person and the family. I mean, I guess it would just depend, like, if the jurors got to sign off on the fact that they would see a woman get raped. You know, you that's, like, a thing you have to sign off on that you're going to mm. be exposed to, I would imagine. Like, the the possibility of what you would say yes know. to jury, jury sure. duty for, you know? like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'd have to know content. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes me think of the, I believe it was the the toolbox killer that we talked about where yeah. they had recorded the whole thing. There was a whole thing about playing it in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the media wanted the tapes to be made public. Of course they did. Of course they did. They wanted everyone to be able to watch these tapes. Mm, yeah. Of course they did. So after some debate on what should be done, the court decides that the jury will be able to see and hear the tapes and anyone in the crowd would only be able to hear it. So they set up the TV so that mm. the jury watches it. And if you're sitting in the room, you want to be in there, then you'll hear it, but you won't see anything. To me, that almost makes it worse. Like mm-hmm. you just said, I find that my imagination is a lot worse than anything anyone will show me. That's why I like horror movies that don't show scary monsters. My mind is always a lot scarier than that CGI thing that shows up on the screen. Mm-hmm. So Leslie's mom is in the courtroom, and Kim, knowing what's on these tapes, does everything she can to try to get her out of the room. Kim didn't want her last memories of her daughter to be the sounds that she was about to hear on these tapes. But Leslie's mom stays. And it does become too much, and she tried to leave, and her knees buckle, and she almost falls to the ground, and people get up and help her out of the courtroom. Um, anyone watching the tapes could clearly see that Carla was a partner in the mayhem, not a victim. And when Carla's mom took the stand to talk about Carla, she said her daughter always seemed happy and never came across like a battered woman. Carla had her own bank account. She was able to leave and party with her friends anytime she wanted. Things that are typically taken away when you're, you know, in more of a dangerous situation. Um, there was another tape that is viewed that becomes known as the fireside chat tape. On the tape, Carla pretends to be Tammy. She is dressed like her and even makes her voice sound like hers. She talks to Paul on the tape and says how great it is that he took those girls' virginity and then the two of them have sex. This is filmed only weeks after Tammy was murdered in the family's basement. During the trial, Paul does take the stand. He tells the court that Carla killed Leslie and Kristen and that he never wanted to kill them. Paul said that with Leslie, Carla gave her a lethal dose of Holocon. Holocon? It's a medication. Um, But Carla said that Paul strangled her to death and Carla watched. With Kristen, Carla said that Paul strangled her for seven minutes. Paul told a very different story. He said that when he came back from getting food and renting movies, Carla said Kristen was dead. She had said that Kristen had wanted her restraints on her neck loosened so she could breathe more easily. And when Carla did that, Kristen tried to escape. But then she started strangling herself with the electrical cord because of the way she was tied up. Even though Carla kind of loosened it, she was still, like, strangling herself as she tried to escape. So Carla hit her with a rubber mallet to subdue her, and she was dead. When Carla took the stand, she was dressed in very plain clothes, beige, neutral colors. She looked very unassuming. As John Rosen cross-examined her, he would show a picture of the girl alive and then show a picture of her in her coffin. And as the days went on, he took apart Carla's story. The more he did, the stronger and more defensive she got, which actually hurt her case. She showed that she was no victim and would not let anyone push her around like she was trying to come across. August 31st, 1995. The jury deliberates all night. While people were waiting for the verdict, the reporters talked to the crowd and asked them their thoughts. Some said they should kill him. Some even said there should be a public hanging. September 1st, 1995, Paul Bernardo is found guilty on all nine counts, which included first-degree murder of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. As a reminder, Carla only got 12 years for manslaughter, with eligibility of parole in four years. Now, that was just the trial of Leslie and Kristen. They separated Tammy and the Scarsborough rapes into a different trial. 
After the trial, he was marked as a dangerous offender, meaning he was most likely never to get out of prison. Over 300,000 people signed a petition to keep Carla in prison. Jane Doe was lured to her house on multiple occasions and no charges were ever made. The Attorney General of Ontario responded to the outcries of anger by having Justice Patrick Gilgan investigate the plea bargain deal with Carla. He came back and said Jane Doe was involved in that. Then, 12 years later, on May 2005, Jane Doe speaks up. Whoa. She was never part of the decision and never even knew about it. It had all been a cover-up, and Jane Doe saw no justice. Whoa. July 4th, 2005, at 36 years old, Carla gets out of prison. She did a lot during her time in prison, took on lovers. She thrived in the structured environment. Psychiatrists who examined her said she showed the symptoms of spousal abuse, but some believed it was because she uh, was reading books and was getting coached to behave that way. The Crown lawyer, Tim Danson, called the families to let them know of her release. Uh, She left the prison in one of two red vans. They were identical vans, um, and they went in two different directions. My thought is, in case people are there watching, Mm -hmm. they don't know which van she's in, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, she was never charged with sex crimes, so she has no status as a sex offender and can't be registered as one, even though she was very much an adult sexually assaulting young girls. It was said that she had conditions of her release— Number one, she was to tell police her home address, her work address, and with whom she lives. Number two, she was required to notify police as soon as any of the above changed. Number three, she was likewise required to notify police of any change to her name. Number four, if she planned to be away from her home for more than 48 hours, she had to give them a 72 hours notice. Number five, she could not contact Paul Bernardo, the families of Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, or the woman known as Jane Doe, or any violent criminals. Number six, she was forbidden to be with people under the age of 16 and to consume drugs other than prescription medication. Number seven, she was required to continue therapy and counseling. Number eight, she was required to provide police with DNA sample. If she violated any of those, it was a maximum two-year prison sentence. But on November 30th, 2005, All restrictions were lifted. Oh, okay. There wasn't enough evidence to justify them, they said. In April 2010, it came out that Carla could possibly be eligible to seek a pardon for her crimes. It wouldn't erase them, just hide them from background checks. But on June 16, 2010, the public safety minister said that an agreement was reached and the bill was passed to prevent offenders like Carla to obtain a pardon. So there's now rules. So, like, you can't get a pardon like that if you've got a background like Carla has, Mm. regardless of what the evidence was. Uh, 2018, Paul Bernardo was up for parole, was denied. Then only three years later, he was up for it again on June 22, 2001, at 56 years old. Uh, He said that he was working on improving himself and cries over what he's done. He said, what I did was so dreadful. I hurt a lot of people. I cry all the time. The parole panel said that he really only showed a little insight into his crimes, and they dismissed his release application after 30 minutes. What upsets the families most is that he can apply for release again so soon after being denied. They have to write victim impact statements each time. Kristen's mom has said, No sooner does the ink dry in preparing the previous victim impact statement for Bernardo's first parole hearing, she's now called up again to do a second one. Like, how awful to just keep reliving that Mm -hmm. trauma every time you have to rewrite a new statement. After the psychiatrists examine Paul again, they continue to say that his conditions are untreatable. Sexual sadism, voyeurism, 
other paraphilias, narcissistic personality disorder, and psychopathy. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Paul admits that he has, as he says, problematic sexual interests, and he blames male privilege sexism. Also, he wrote a book while in prison called Mad World Order, a political espionage thriller. It contained violent and graphic passages and was removed from Amazon. He was able to gain profit from it because it had nothing to do with his crimes. He was denied parole in 2021 and continues to be denied parole. Carla remains out in the world. In 2016, she moved to Quebec and learned French. She got married and had three kids with the brother of her defense lawyer. She changed her name to Leanne Bordalis um, and helps out with school activities. Now, the media found out and exposed her. Uh, the parents had no idea she was Carla Homolka, and it shook all of them. As for the videos, they have been incinerated, including all known copies and other related material. Um, even the house was destroyed. The families felt relief when these pieces of the nightmare were finally gone. Most of them felt like their daughters could finally rest. To quote Jennifer Black from the end of the Hulu series, The Ken and Barbie Killers, The Lost Murder Tapes, who wants to remember Carla and Paul? Just remember the girls. And to name them again, Tammy Homolka, Leslie Mahaffey, and Kristen French. Now, the second verse of the Rush song, Nobody's Hero, actually makes reference to Kristen French. Um, I shared it in my resources if you want to give it a listen. And with that, my ladies and beans, is the awful case of the Ken and Barbie killers. Any final sips? Anyone can write a book. It's true. Anyone can write a book. Mm-hmm. Get it published. Yep, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Amazon took it down. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody wants to listen to your bullshit, sir. Yeah, mm-hmm. sir. Um, people do, right? People glorify. I mean, I think that's what they were doing with those tapes, right? They wanted to glorify themselves, because mm-hmm. even if no one would see it, they thought no one would see it. They just wanted to watch it over and over and over again, because they're garbage. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty common trait with serial killers, right? Revisiting, whatever that means for them. Mm-hmm. Some people go back to their sites. These awful humans decided trophies. to make tra- tapes. I think about all the videos that I make that I've never watched ever again. And so I just think about the wasted time and effort on and like life of some of these people sometimes where I'm like, there wasn't even enough hours in the in a day for you to go back and watch all of this fucking footage that you did. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> like you wasted this poor girl's life just so you could have the experience of watching the video and then maybe you maybe you'll watch it one other time. Like well, they'll remember it always. Yeah. Every you day. monster, yeah. Monsters. Or even the girls that don't remember it, like or that don't know or, you know, they have no idea until way later. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, just go so fuck yourself. Yeah. And it's so scary when two of those personalities find each other <sighs> and mm-hmm. no right. one can take responsibility. And, oh, he made me. No, I definitely wanted to. Yeah. But he made me. I just, ugh, you're mm-hmm. both garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're garbage. Uh, my final sip is this. Um, what happened should have never happened mm-hmm. for multiple reasons as the case went on. Uh, things could have been stopped at so many different points um, if the cops had just invested a little bit more, right? The DNA shouldn't have taken so long to get matched. They should have been, there should have been more money in that department because that was such a huge thing. And they just didn't realize how important it was going to be at the time. And maybe that's why they didn't invest more money into it. Um, The plea deal shouldn't have happened at all. Deal with the devil. Yeah, it should have been revoked once that Jane Doe tape came out. But instead, they buried that attack and she never saw justice. She was part of a cover-up and forgotten. And she deserved better. 
Paul may still be in prison, but Carla got away with murder. She played the victim card and manipulated the system, and it was very easy for her to do that. Tammy Homolka, Leslie Mahaffey, and Kristen French deserved better. They deserved to grow up, to be silly teens, to find love, to learn about themselves, and to be safe. The system made bad compromises and failed these girls. Doing half of something does not make the other half disappear. I just hope that we can learn from this and protect children, protect girls, women, and women identifying. Don't just brush off disappearances like runaways. Every case deserves time. If they had given that time to look into Leslie sooner, who knows what might have changed? Maybe nothing, but they didn't even attempt until she was found in cement. Mm. <sighs> that reminds me of the Junko story. Yeah. They didn't even do anything until she was found in cement, literally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd already written this when you were telling your story, and I was like, oh my god, there's so many similarities, and it's so heartbreaking because these patterns shouldn't be repeated. Mm-hmm. We should be learning from things. That's why history is so important, and correct history, not manipulated history. Yeah. But correct history should teach us so that we do not repeat the errors of our past, and we actually learn and grow from them. But unfortunately, even today, we're seeing, as the world continues to go crazy, we're not learning from our past mistakes. We're literally making them again. And it's heartbreaking to see, and it's terrifying to see. And I'm just so worried for the generations behind us. You know, if, if things don't change, we're in a horrible place, but imagine the people who are kids now. Yeah. If, if the pattern continues the way it is, I'm terrified for their future. It's a common thing. I think when you look at any literature from years beyond, I think that is a common thing that happens for people that are worried about the future. Like you, you read books or you read like diary entries from like the 1800s and they're like really concerned for what the future has. Like, mm-hmm. because no matter what things just keep happening. Mm-hmm. And the mo- the most that we can do is just hold each other accountable and uh, hold ourselves accountable too, and do that thing that really sexy thing that I love is going ah no this stops with me mm-hmm. you know and so, and there is a really it's awesome when you have this point of going like well I learned this from my parents and I learned this from adults and I learned this from someone else it's also really awesome when you learn that you can be the one to stop it for mm-hmm. you moving forward yeah. Like, this may have been a cynical person in my life, but that stops with me. Or this person might have been abusive, but that stops with me. And mm-hmm. that's like the littlest you can do, I think, to help future generations is stop the previous things that happened to you instead of perpetuate it because it did happen to you. Yeah. Learning something does not justify you doing it. Like, oh, I learned it from my parents. That's mm-hmm. why I'm doing it. If it's a terrible thing, that doesn't justify shit. It you empowers co- you to do better. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree. It should empower you to change and be the difference, like you said. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's as simple as deciding not to be a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's as simple as going, like, that takes more energy than just being cool, Mm -hmm. letting this girl go. Mm -hmm. So much extra effort to not. Yeah. Like, it's, I've never understood the hobby that is murder. It's just so much extra fucking time and effort, and it affects so many other people. Mm -hmm. There are better hobbies out there. There really are. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nicole hasn't killed a single people doing puzzles. I really haven't. As far as we know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> She's got that fancy puzzle table. What's inside of it? Yeah. Pieces. pieces. Lies. Puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. That's all that's in there. <laughs> Let's go check. Oh, <laughs> uh, ladies, beans, uh, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Morning, Morning Murders. Murders. We look forward to sharing more stories with 
Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. Remember to stop by every Monday for a new episode. And you can always check out our resources and mental health links in our show notes. If you enjoyed listening to our highly caffeinated conversation, please leave us a five-star rating and check us out on Instagram. At Morning Murders. That's at M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-M-U-R-D-E-R-S. If you have any stories you'd like to hear discussed around the breakfast nook, email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank you for listening! He does, they do a real fun, real fun number on people. Fun? That's an interesting Mm -hmm. word choice, Brenna McFolger. Yeah, just a real fun, fun time being a fucking asshole. Or two. Asshole or two. Because, yeah, she... I feel like I remember stuff. I know of this one because Mike Mike from that chapter talks about it. Oh, yeah. Mike. No one ever gets to hear these warm-ups, but I feel like it's important (laughs) that you guys hear it because it kind of... Yeah, let's do it, baby. If anything, we prevail. We always prevail, whether it's tech or schedules or whatever, we do it. So um, I'm going to take a piece out of the Morning Murders book and just go through our names because I like their warm-up a lot. So, bam. Bam, 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 really, bam, 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 Good brew and bad brew, or like the mar- the mug on either side. So it's Aww. good brew and bad brew. <laughs> I like depends that. on what kind of day you're having. Yeah. Have you had a good brew day or a bad, bad brew? brew day? Oh, I like that. Good brew. Um, you guys ready? It's like yeah. bon- bones or no bones. Bones are oh no bones. <laughs> bones are no bones. <laughs> what a cute pup. Yeah.
Okay. Much earlier, um, uh, mush earlier. <laughs> Autocorrected to mush. Mush. Mush earlier. Mm. Um. Okay. Duh. So um. Brrr.